Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Tuesday, March 7th. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, stakeholders in Jackson meet with legislative Democrats about a series of bills that could grant the state more control over the capital city. Then the Senate Education Chair says there's a path toward fully funding public education in Mississippi. Plus, a specialist breaks down symptoms, causes, and preventions for seasonal allergies in the state. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Fake Radio. Democratic lawmakers are hearing directly from Jackson stakeholders to better understand how several bills could affect the capital city. The state legislature is considering a number of measures that would grant the state more control over Jackson as the city faces high crime rates and a water crisis. During a hearing yesterday conducted by the Jackson legislative delegation, Hines County District Attorney Jody Owens described the office's recent history with the legislature. In 2020, with the COVID epidemic, we saw a heightened increase of crime uh, in Hines County in the city of Jackson, similar to a variety of of cities throughout the country. Uh, In 2020, we first approached the Hines County delegation and the Mississippi legislature to get what we saw was a significant underfunding of resources for our office. In fact, in 2007, uh, I've been provided to you, Madam Chairwoman, 90% 90% of all district attorney offices in the state of Mississippi received additional resources. Our office did not. Uh, despite having uh, the largest uh, land mass in the state of Mississippi and the highest volume of crime, we did not receive what every other district attorney office received, which was additional legal assistance known as assistant district attorneys for our statute. So I come to you to talk to you about our journey over the last three years about asking for help from the legislature and what it looks like today in 2023. House Bill 1020 was drafted and introduced by Republican Trey Lamar of Senatobia. Supporters of the bill claim it's a solution to Jackson's rising crime rates and backlog of untried cases. But D.A. Owen says there has been chronic underfunding of his and other key offices. In 2020, uh, we were denied any resources from the legislature when we presented the need so desperately for. We got nothing. We got zero. In 2021, we were afforded a one-time appointment of $150,000. 
uh, for the jurisdiction that's the largest in the state with 25% of all homicides, a laughable amount. In 2021, uh, we were still able to make progress by showing that we could indict and convict individuals, and we looked at crime seriously here in Hines County. In 2022, the legislature did fund our office, uh, as well as a package that included the Public Defender's Office and uh, special appointed judges. And in 2023, uh, we were not involved in the drafting of House Bill 1020. Uh, we have put a statement out that we were against 1020 for several reasons. I want to list those specifically here today. Uh, certainly, we don't agree with any uh, bill or law that would make a system inside of a system, a bill that would select appointed judges. We believe that Hines County and certainly uh, all jurisdictions deserve permanent judges that are elected for the people, by the people, and are accountable to the people. That's always been our position. When the bill went to the Senate, the bill was stripped, as many people know. Uh, the bill still has conflicts of a law that we don't take a position for. Our position remains that our office has been underfunded and under-resourced by the state of Mississippi. Owen says he was not consulted prior to the bill's introduction and will remain opposed to it. He also wants to see more resources going into all parts of the criminal justice system. One thing that we always have always advocated for is a strong public defender system. It cannot just be the Hines County DA's office can solve all of our problems in, in Hines County. If we don't fully fund our public defender office, we can't move cases. Individuals, indigent individuals need proper and appropriate representation, and that's something that the state has historically failed to do in Hines County and throughout the state of Mississippi. We need a fully funded, strong defender office to go with a fully funded, uh, strong DA's office. But there are still additional challenges that the state continues to fill on. The most significant one is the state crime lab. We continue to wait for years for medical examinations, for drug testing, for DNA testing that will help us move and resolve cases. We have the most significant need in the state of Mississippi, but we're not getting any help from that. We have spoken to Commissioner Tyndall, a former assistant district attorney himself, about the need for DPS to be more, uh, to do more to help us resolve cases. Uh, we believe it's laughable to talk about uh, new bills, doing new things when we have not addressed the old problems. The old problems are fully funding a system. Madam Chairwoman, it's the very thing I will tell you as a Navy officer that I see currently as we see Russia invade Ukraine. If you don't give a system the resources they need, that system will fail. The Hines County delegation has been supportive, but the state of Mississippi needs to step up and do their part and make sure that they fully fund our system appropriately and permanently. Gail Lowry of the Hines County Public Defender's Office also spoke at yesterday's hearing. She says the state should provide more to ensure the constitutional rights of Jackson residents. Of the criminal cases that are brought each year, nearly 90% of the persons are indigent and in need of our services at the Hines County Public Defender's Office. We serve as counsel by court appointment for everyone except those cases where private counsel are hired or we have a conflict of interest. Hines County encompasses Jackson, Mississippi, our capital. The Public Defender's Office and program is woefully underfunded and lacking in resources, even as compared to the Hines County District Attorney's Office. This grave disparity has contributed 
to about a 90% turnover rate that I have experienced since I began as public defender in 2020. What that equals for 11 attorneys that I had practicing, 10 resignations was suffered by my office. You may ask, what's the problem? It's because we do not have sufficient funding for salaries in the Hines County Public Defender's Office. It is basically the number one struggle that we face in trying to protect the constitutional rights of our clients throughout the criminal justice system. Nationally, the public defender should be an equal partner, but our reality is that we're not. Chief Joseph Wade of the Jackson Police Department, as well as a number of other criminal justice advocates and academics, also appear before the Jackson Legislative de Delegation. And coming up, the Senate Education Chair says there's a path toward fully funding public education in Mississippi. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. It's made possible in part by contributions from podcast listeners. Please consider making a contribution by going to the Donate Now tab at mpbonline.org. Thanks for your financial support. Classical, jazz, indie, blues, folk, bluegrass, whatever you call your music. Find it on MPB Music Radio on mpbonline.org or the MPB Public Media app or on an HD radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Senate Education Chair Republican Dennis DeBar of Leakesville is proposing updates to the Mississippi Adequate Education Program. The MAEP serves as the formula for how much funding the state should be spending on public education, but it hasn't been fully funded in 15 years. Senate Appropriations Chair Republican Briggs Hobson of Vicksburg called together a joint committee meeting yesterday to open the door for a new solution. We typically don't call appropriations committee meetings on a Monday afternoon and for one bill, but this is a very, very important piece of legislation. And it deals with MAEP funding. It also deals with um, some technical changes to the MAEP formula. Uh, I, I would say, I think I speak for most of you in the room uh, that we have uh, desired to fully fund MAEP for quite some time. And I can tell you historically that when I got here in the legislature, my first year MAEP was fully funded and then uh, something called a recession hit shortly thereafter. And as our revenues uh, tanked and our, uh, the, the, the inflation features and MAP formula went upwards, we started seeing revenue nosedive and, and expenses, so to speak, go up. And uh, since that time, it seems like the gap has gotten bigger and bigger. Now we've made strides over the years to try to lessen that gap, but uh, there were some fundamental things I think that, that I saw when I was a brand new legislator that uh, brought to the forefront maybe two issues that I think that will be addressed in this today. And one of which is this inflation feature. The other one is something that we've heard from year um, from time to time over the years. And that is the local contribution factor. 
The changes to the formula key in on three elements, inflationary adjustments, local contributions, and calculating base student costs. Education Chair DeBar thinks the technical changes allow the state to fully fund MAEP this year and future years. He says adjusting the inflation component is one way to keep the formula sustainable. We have been working on this for for several years uh, since the beginning of the term um, and talking about it and talking about it. And thankfully, um, as we here are are here now, we are in a good fiscally sound state. We are in a position now that we can actually fully fund MAEP. So in talking with various people, I mean, educator groups, uh, people on both sides of the aisle, uh, we come up with three things that need to be done. What we're going, what we're proposing is to we're going to leave the the base student cost intact when we're going to change the annual adjustment, annual inflation. Um, this changes will reflect intellectual honesty about how the formula is applied to actual district costs over the years, and then allow the legislature to fully fund MAEP not only this year but in the out years as well. Basically, MAEP in short is average, day, average daily attendance times the base student cost minus local contribution, plus some other things in there. So we're looking at the base student costs. The base student costs currently is a formula. It's you know 40% of the inflationary rate times the CPI. And so we're looking at currently the annual rate the inflationary rate is at 40%. So what that means is we take the base student cost, multiply that by 40% and continue on the formula. Well, the superintendents across the state have indicated that really only about 80% of their MAEP allotment is subject to inflation rather than 40%. So we're going to reduce that 40% down to 25%. The technical changes do not divert from using average daily attendance, or ADA, as a factor in calculating base student costs. During a question with Senator Kelvin Butler, DeBar said other metrics were considered and the language in the new formula allows for reexamination. He's saying after it's fully fully funded, then it's going to be approximately $24 million the next year to fund, to fully fund it again. And so you're saying maybe once we get to that point, then it won't cost us as much. Does that about right? That, that, that is correct. Uh, one of the main points and many reasons for doing this, one of the main reasons, is that we wanted to provide consistency for the Appropriations Committee in years going forward. And this... Um, and running the numbers, our LBO staff have run the numbers, and they've indicated that this will allow us to do that for sure. All right. Well, on the formula, uh, Mr. Chairman, I know they were talking about, you know, normally it was done by average daily attendance on the amount of money each school district got. But on the updated uh, MAEP, you're still doing this same as for the average daily attendance or members? We're keeping it uh, average daily to ADA. Um, we had, had looked at going to ADM or as someone has said, average daily enrollment, ADE. Um, however, in running those numbers, 
it provided uh, really inconsistent numbers as far as some districts were getting more money, some districts were getting less money. But what we've been in, what we did find was that if we could do this during a recalculation year, we could change the ADM at that point in time and there'd be a wash. And so it would really not um, affect districts as greatly as it would if we made that change now. The next recalculation year would be in 2027. And so uh, if this were to pass, then we would look at maybe making that change before the next recalculation uh, is made uh, in the next term. The alterations to the MAEP would be enacted via an amendment to an appropriations bill, which the Senate will likely bring to the floor for a vote today. Mississippi Association of Educators and the Parents Campaign both support the amendment. Coming up, a specialist breaks down symptoms, causes, and prevention of Mississippi's seasonal allergies. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hello, I'm Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advising firm and co-host of Money Talks. For over 10 years, Money Talks has been answering your personal financial questions and sharing knowledge about money management. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. According to the CDC, symptoms of allergic rhinitis, more commonly known as hay fever, affect as many as 60 million people per year in the U.S. It causes sneezing, itchy eyes, and mild congestion. And the culprit is typically pollen. In part two of our look at seasonal allergies, our Lacey Alexander talks with Dr. Charles Grogan of the University of Mississippi about causes and prevention. Well, you know, it's no big secret that Mississippi struggles in many different uh, regards when it comes to health. Uh, And allergies can be a comorbidity that makes many other disease processes just a little bit worse, especially for things like chronic conditions such as asthma or even COPD. Having an upper respiratory component to it that's making your lungs work a little bit worse can make things overall a little bit more difficult for our patients. A personal story. My sister has had allergy issues. She got tested for allergies when she was very young, and I did not really get a reaction to pollen or any kind of allergies in the air until I was in my mid-20s. Talk to me about that discrepancy and why some people develop allergies maybe a little later in life. Sure. That's actually still an area of interest in our field is learning why some patients are more, well, we, again, we call them atopic, prone to allergies, earlier in life versus more adult onset. We typically find that patients who do develop their allergies a little bit earlier on, and they can have some more um, what we call permanent or, sorry, let me, let me go back on that. Patients who develop allergies a little bit earlier on in their lifetimes we can offer them more permanent solutions like allergy immunotherapy um, or allergy shots, as is more commonly called. They usually get a little bit better benefit from things like that compared to our older patients. Do allergies get worse or do people's allergies get more sensitive as they get older? We actually think it might be the opposite. As patients get older, 
they stop producing um, a large amount. Sorry, they stop producing as much IgE. It's the antibody that's responsible for allergy. As you get older, the production of that goes down. But what can happen is you can have other disease processes that causes nasal congestion or runny nose. Um, and it can actually be a mixed picture situation where even though the allergies might actually be getting a little bit better, you have other things that are causing you symptoms. Does the treatment for the allergy differ based on what you're actually allergic to? Yes. Uh, some allergens are what we call perennial and some are seasonal. Perennial means that you just encounter them year long. That can be things like dust mites or cats, while seasonal allergens are things more like pollen. Perennial allergens usually can be significantly improved with just avoidance measures. If you have a dust mite allergy, putting dust mite cases on your pillows and on your bed and doing regular washings with hot water can significantly help in symptoms. As far as medications, there's not too much of a difference between using intranasal steroids like Flonase or using an oral antihistamine for the different type of allergens. What it does change is how we do allergy shots. Some allergens are not quite as good for allergy shots, and that would be things like mold or cockroach, but allergies to pollens can be significantly improved with allergy immunotherapy or allergy shots. I'm trying to think of, like, people who have to wear a tag on airplanes because they're allergic to peanuts. Like, get that allergy is so harsh to them. Like, how does that binary kind of work for other allergens? Like, is there always a severity measure with everything that you're allergic to, or is it just certain allergens that are more deadly than others, if that makes any sense? Sure. Well, you know, it's important to make the distinction between food allergy and what we call allergic rhinitis, which is symptoms... Uh, you know, that occur in your nose and your eyes um, when you are exposed to the allergen. Food allergies are typically much more serious and can be very life-threatening. We, it's very infrequent that we encounter allergic rhinitis symptoms that can be life-threatening. Though, if you do have severe asthma, it still could be an issue. It's difficult to make a distinction of how severe your allergies will be. There's really not a good measurement tool to determine just how how badly you'll react to the allergen in the air. I gotcha. And just to close, we are in a season where we're walking outside and our cars are covered in pollen. Um, The rainwater is showing green because there's pollen everywhere. For Mississippians who do struggle with seasonal allergies, what is your advice to them during this uh, time when the seasons are changing and pollen is all over the place? Sure. Well, there's a few different things you can do to help avoid the pollen. You know, the first thing is to realize that the pollen is going to be in the air at all times. Um, It's going to be hard to escape it once you're outside, and it does make its way inside of your house as well. Taking off your clothes when you get home, washing them quickly instead of laying down on your bed or on your uh, furniture is a good way to keep allergens from getting tracked on to surfaces that they'll stick to for a long time. Using a daily nasal spray like Flonase or what was recently approved for over-the-counter use, azelastine or astelin, can go a long way towards helping your symptoms and are usually a little bit more effective than using an oral antihistamine. If you do have problems still despite all of that, we'd recommend come on into our clinic. So we offer allergy immunotherapy. We call these allergy shots. 
What it is is we do skin prick testing or blood testing to find out what you're allergic to. After we have a discussion about that, we would make a personalized allergy shot for you, and this would include all the things that you're allergic to. You would do a build-up phase over a few months where you would come in weekly for an allergy shot, and once you get up to your maintenance dose, you would be on it for about two or three years, and hopefully, after that time period, your allergies would be cured rather than just treated. Very cool. How recent is the technology of being able to combine multiple allergens to be tr uh, treated with one shot? Allergy immunotherapy has actually been around for almost 100 years. Um, but this is still one of the few things in medicine where the doctor can still mix up the medicines themselves to have an individualized, personalized medicine for a patient. Thank you so much for chatting with us about this topic today. Absolutely. Thank you. Dr. Charles Grogan is an assistant professor of allergy and immunology at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.